Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Connecting you to the biggest stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. School is almost back in session. It's episode 331 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and it's kind of, it's kind of a crazy show this week, honestly. But we're going to be talking to three of the stars of AP Bio, which season three is going to be coming back on September the 3rd. That is this coming week. Can't wait for that. So I've got Lyric Lewis on the show this week. I've got Mary Son and Gene Villapeak on the show this week to talk about basically the best super best friend squad of AP Bio, the three teachers who are always together. And I, I just think you guys are going to really, really love this upcoming season. I can't wait for you to hear what they have to say. I'm going to be doing my spoiler-free review of Bill and Ted Face the Music as well. And I'm going to be talking about some exciting news and some very sad news and nerd news this week. Speaking of Bill and Ted, hey, let's start off things in an excellent fashion. My spoiler-free review of Bill and Ted Face the Music is next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey guys, this is Dexter Darden from the Maze Runner series, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is certainly a most excellent way to kick off this week's show. How about a spoiler-free review of Bill and Ted Face the Music from Orion Pictures? Yes, I know it's out on video on demand. In its select theaters already, but gonna keep this spoiler free just in case you haven't had a chance to see it yet. And you really, really should. This third installment, of course, we got a middle aged Bill and Ted that we're talking about here, and they're still trying to save the universe with their, with their, with the song, basically. And what I really loved about this right in the beginning is they kind of catch you up, right? Like, even if you're not familiar with the Bill and Ted story up to this point, you can still enjoy this movie for what it is and they kind of do like this maybe this is a tiny tiny bit of a spoiler but I won't give anything away they kind of do this almost like behind the music type thing and talk about Bill and Ted's music the Wild Stallions over the years and it's it's really really interesting actually it's it's not very long it's really quick but it's a good way to kind of set you up for where we are right now and you you've seen in the trailer too you know they get a visit their job still is not done as a matter of fact the job itself is kind of kicked up a notch it's a little bit more important than it was before so that strikes bill and ted out to try and get their hands on the song and again you know from the trailer that they plan on stealing it from themselves and that in itself is a pretty funky adventure it's just so much fun watching them go through that and it really just shows you the range that these two have actually and Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter who play Bill and Ted look like they're having the time of their lives making this movie it's like you know getting to do something you never thought you'd be able to do again and then once you do you just you pour your heart and soul into it you could just tell that these two love playing these characters so so much but you also have a kind of a secondary story actually there's three stories going on here if we're being honest and we've got Samara Weaving, who plays Thea, and you've got Bridget Lundy-Payne, who plays Billy, and those are Bill and Ted's daughters. And they get involved in this crazy adventure, too, somehow. And that's not a spoiler, because you kind of had to figure what th- that that's what they're going to do. But, you know, these are Bill and Ted's daughters. I mean, that the way that they just, all these years later, just dive into these roles. And y- you couldn't have more perfect writing for these characters and they couldn't have portrayed these characters any better to be Bill and Ted's daughters. I mean, you want to talk about chips off the old block, as they say, that's the, and Billy for sure. But you know, we've still got the, you still got the, you got the wives that are still involved in this to Elizabeth and Joanna. They're still a part of this. There's still some family that you're going to recognize from the, from the older movies as well. There are some characters actually more than just that, that you're going to recognize if you're a fan of the older movies as well. But we get to see Billy and Thea kind of go on their own adventure. And you get you get a hint of that in the trailer too, but you don't know exactly what they're doing. And what they're doing is classic. Let me just put it that way. It fits so well into the mold of the Bill and Ted story. This movie does such a good job of adding to the already existing movies 
but also creating something fresh that even if you haven't seen those ones, you'll still be able to appreciate it. Now, there's a couple of things here and there that if you didn't see the older movies, you won't understand why it's a big deal or why certain characters, who who they are and things like that. But you'll kind of get the gist of everything that's going on. This movie doesn't leave you behind if you haven't seen the first two. That's that's pretty easy to say. But it's just such a fun, fun story. And there are so many times where I just laughed, whether it was at Bill and Ted and their misadventure of trying to find the song or at Billy and Thea and how they kind of do their thing. And there was one character in particular that sometimes there's characters in movies that you don't want to laugh, laugh at, but you do. And that was Anthony Kerrigan's Dennis Caleb McCoy. I'm not going to give you any more than that. This character is not funny at first, becomes funny as the movie goes on, but it's the kind of funny that you're ashamed at yourself of laughing at. But I did, and, and I'm not ashamed at all, quite frankly, because this was a character that just kind of, it, it's almost like a character that throws a wrench in everything. It has that awkward line that you don't expect or that doesn't necessarily fit in with everything else that's going on. And you kind of look at him like, What? But it's completely on purpose. And that's the beauty part about how this character is written as well. And it adds to the fun of the story. It really, really does. Now, there, there, are, some sim- there are some serious elements in this as well, too, though, with, with Bill and Ted and their family. And you get to see Bill and Ted, you know, they, they realize that they have to grow up a little bit, too. And, that, and that's part of the story as well. And once you get to the end of this movie, or at least towards the end, Anyway, and you you sort you're sort of gonna figure out where this thing's going close to the end of it. You're gonna probably figure out what the key to the whole thing is. But I love the message that they have at the end of this movie and how it puts together. I love how it kind of puts a twist on the classic Bill and Ted story and what their ultimate goal was and how they're going to achieve it. And quite frankly, you know what? It's 2020. This year's been pretty awful overall for a lot of reasons and this is one of those movies that you can throw on there you can smile you can laugh you can get silly for a couple of hours actually an hour and a half if I'm being honest and that's and quite frankly and just because it's a little bit shorter that's not a bad thing by the way Bill and Ted Face the Music is so much fun it's one of those movies that you're gonna feel good when you're done watching it, you're going to laugh. There's going to be some feel-good moments there. If you're already a fan and you have been for years, there's going to be stuff in there that you're going to recognize and you're going to enjoy. If you're not a fan yet, you're going to be after you watch this one. And you probably will end up going back and watching those first two movies. But again, hats off to to Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves for, for playing characters that they probably never thought they'd play again. Honestly, Samara Weaving and Bridget Lundy Payne steal the show of this movie. I was so entertained by the two of them. I actually cannot wait to watch this one again. Bill and Ted Face the Music, which you can get right now video on demand or at a local theater. If you should, if you are feel safe enough to go to a movie theater and go ahead and go see this one, you can do that as well, as long as they're following the proper safety protocols, of course. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of Bill and Ted Face the Music. Up next, we're going to face a little bit of something else. How about a little bit of a chat with the cast of AP Bio that's going to be coming back to NBC's Peacock on September the 3rd. We'll talk to them next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Martin Garrow, creator and executive producer of Blindspot, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Looking forward to the return of AP Bio to the Peacock streaming service on Thursday, September the 3rd. I got a chance to chat with three of the wonderful ladies from the cast. As a matter of fact, Lyric Lewis, who plays Steph Duncan, Mary Son, who plays, you know, Mary, and then Jean, who plays Michelle, the three, the, basically the super best friend squad of AP Bio, these amazing teachers. I got a chance to chat with them about season three. So here's my interview with those three wonderful ladies from AP Bio. So did you all kind of know when the show was canceled that you might actually have a chance to come back? Because I think you guys were only gone for like a month before you got the good news, right? Yes, but I, for me, I felt like when we got canceled, that was it. And the fact that um, all these fans showed an outpouring of love and specific kinds of love 
uh, for the show made me be like, okay, we're back, baby. We're revitalized. So, yeah. It's funny because do, do you almost feel like you have a, you had a little bit more greater appreciation for the fans? You, I know that you guys already did, but in seeing that when everything went down, it's just like, wow, we, we really are loved. They really do like us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like seeing them, like Mary said, like the specific kind of love that came out on Twitter and just people's comments, like it really was like, oh, you actually you watched the show, you're <laughs> it, binging it in anticipation for it to come back for season three, demanding to know the date it's coming back. Dem so many demands that it was just, it really was a lovely feeling. Yeah, we're used to doing live theater with when you get an immediate response. So this was like, we put this show out there and then it got canceled and we just sort of felt like it went into space and felt lost. So then to get this these really specific outpourings and all of this Twitter love was like, this is real, this is big. This is, you know, really, it really uh, was powerful. So now that you guys are on Peacock streaming service and not on network TV, did you guys kind of get the sense that you could ha maybe have a little bit more freedom, maybe things could get a little bit more crazy now that you're on network TV? How did you all feel? Mm -hmm. We took a thing from the writers and definitely that was right away at the beginning of the season. Uh, Mike O'Brien, the creator was like, we have a little more wiggle room with time and it can be a little edgier. Um, so it's, it's a weirder season and the writers definitely gave us amazing gifts that way and then we were able to build on that and you know what's so cool is that what remained is that even if it is a bit uh more edgy i still think that the core of it is the same mm -hmm. and my favorite thing to hear from fans is that um like a comment like well my daughter and i look forward to it every thursday to watch it it's such a huge compliment to know that families can watch it together i think that's yeah. my favorite part of it mm -hmm. Do you think that's part of it, too, because there's kind of a stigma attached to, oh, there's a streaming service. You can do whatever you want, but yeah, you still want to keep the core of the show. Was that important to you guys to be able to have still have that family aspect? Because we are still talking about a, a series at a high school here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely. But also, um, like, it was definitely important to keep that family aspect. But also, I think to with it being on streaming, um, just the reality of, like, how these kids talk and how these teachers talk are being able to be brought to light unfiltered. Like, me, um, Mary, and Jean were improvisers, so we improvise a ton. So in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, so much of this now will probably get to stay in because, you know, that natural kind of back and forth we have, we don't, you know, not like we ever did edit ourselves, but... <laughs> <laughs> But now it's like, oh, it might actually, you know, get to live a little bit longer. So, um, yeah. So let's talk about your group for a second, because I feel like you guys are like the super best friends group of Whitlock High School at this point. So what would you say is your favorite thing about that friendship between the three ladies? I would just, I, don't, I would just say that it's uh, there's so much love there and like real relationship dynamic love, like it's not one note or two dimensional at all, which is so refreshing. Like they're not overly catty or arguing over like weird catty things that people think women argue about that we don't. And it's like, they have moments where they get on each other's nerves. They have moments where they're frustrated or have little tips, but then they can come back together in an organic way. So that for me is really nice that it just feels real. It is real. I think one thing that feels so unique and real about it too is that for me, my love language is teasing. And the fact that our dynamic can include so much teasing as much as the, mm -hmm. I will kick anyone's ass who messes with my friend. I love that both can live in that space. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't have a love language, but yeah. um, uh, <laughs> 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 to build on what Mary said, we give each other a, a hard time sometimes, but I also know that if these guys were like, Michelle, you're so weird. And a student was like, you're weird. They'd be like, never say that about Michelle. Like they <laughs> care of each other fiercely mm -hmm. um, beyond anything else. That's awesome. Now let's talk about Principal Durbin for a second, because it seems like everybody kind of gets along with him pretty well. So would you say that he is a good boss? <laughs> He's a good boss if you want to get away with anything you want <laughs> he means so, well. yes <laughs> he means well he's a good boss he means so well because <laughs> it seems like he has a little bit of trouble keeping control of things but that's kind of par for the course if you've been watching the show for sure and i also feel like durbin is always dealing with like a hamster in the sewer that's having babies or like the school is like falling apart but he is ultimately so good at his job 
you guys don't really wait that long this season for things to start falling apart either. Not going to spoil anything, but that, that was, that was pretty epic first episode for anybody that's getting ready for that. What was that like actually being back shooting that first episode and thinking, thinking, wow, you guys look like you were having a lot of fun. Like, like you've gotten a new lease on life. We were so grateful to be there. We got to work with a director, Oz Rodriguez, who directed the pilot and we worked with every season. He's so much fun. And then there were so many physical bits and yeah, we were just on cloud nine. So now this show's obviously in its third season. You guys know each other all pretty well, it seems like. So which one of you would you say, I'm going to put you guys on the spot. Which one of you all would you say is the most like your character? Well, Mary's is named Mary. do i win by default (laughs) i think mary yes i mean i think we are kind of similar to ours but i think definitely mary is like let's have some fun with what's going on here uh in real life like mary is the most fun person i ever met she's like (laughs) yeah so nice. Well, I do. What I think is so fun is that um, I know some of the writers in the room and there'll be certain scripts where I'll read through them and I'll be like, OK, well, that is a younger version of myself. I am a little bit more together now, but it is really fun to play a more reckless version. But I would say for the both of you, too, I wouldn't say that your characters are that far off from you either. Yeah, no, I feel like Steph is pretty close to me in a lot of ways. Like I do genuinely love history. So that like is a fact, but yeah, I feel like a lot of her like spunk and you know, how she is with the ladies and all of that, yeah. And <laughs> Michelle is exactly like, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, you, you did poop your pants that one time, right? And have to wear those in real life. And that happens to everybody is what I'm aware of. Wow. <laughs> Okay, that's a little side note that that uh, that we didn't know we were going to get right there. Please make sure to put that in there, James. Oh, no <laughs> doubt about it. No doubt about it. Is it bad, too? I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing that I've been in this room for less than 10 minutes, and I knew somebody was going to say Mary first. That's a, question. <laughs> that's a good thing. You're in the vibe. Our vibe is strong. Apparently so. I mean, I, I thought it was, I, I didn't realize how obvious that question was going to be when I wrote it last night. So now, now I feel good about myself. Uh. <laughs> so did you all kind of have a favorite episode this season that you can talk about without spoiling anything whether it involved your characters or just something really funny that happened that you're really looking forward to fancying dang i feel like mine i'm gonna try to craft my words because mine might be a little spoiler but it's i mean we know that um steph is pregnant this season because mm-hmm. lyric was pregnant in true life true life i was pregnant um <laughs> So there's an episode, just so fun, um, where we, um, the ladies investigate uh, just the possible familial relations of Steph's child mm-hmm. to um, possibly someone within the walls of Whitlock High School. I was going to say that's my favorite episode too. It's a definite caper. It involves fun costumes. And uh, we're getting to the bottom of Steph's truth and looking ahead to the future. And it was very fun to shoot. Yeah. (laughs) I would say I really like the colonoscopy uh, episode because we get to go to Jack's house and bring our sleepover energy to him and truly wind up in his sweatpants and t-shirt. Truly. And not in a sexual way, guys. Kind of. <laughs> well, we uh, just talked about how this is a family show now. Come on. Ew, it's high school kids. God. <laughs> Hey. Oh, my goodness. Now, having students in the classroom, obviously not something that's kind of in the norm right now in 2020. And, you know, which one of your characters do you think would do the best with virtual learning? I was going to say Michelle, but I can also see her like having everything set up, ready to go, but then knocking a candle over and lighting her whole house on fire. <laughs> uh, literally, like, season four. Uh, I literally had the same thought, Mary. Like, really? I went, Michelle, and then I went, <laughs> no, I just saw Keith and like amps in the background, and I was like, oh no, like my face literally went, no. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think Steph Duncan would be like, set up a theater like she would set up a gorgeous like yeah like be like now I'm putting on a show and I have (laughs) control over it I think she'd be the best yeah I really think Steph would be like ready to showcase her house weirdly like (laughs) weird paintings and stuff from like yeah I think Mary might have like some sweatpants on and accidentally like do the zoom 
bottom half showing like <laughs> maybe have accidentally put some stuff in the background i don't know <laughs> i think so too i told okay. you there's always going to be some gross man walking out of her bedroom exactly kids don't even mind this gross scaggy guy leaving my bedroom it's true to life <laughs> happens all the time <laughs> Now, ladies, before I let you go, other than each other, because I know that you have a lot of scenes together. I know you have a lot of fun together. Who's your favorite character on the show to actually have scenes with? Um, I'm going to say the first one that comes to mind is uh, Principal Durbin's Patton. Patton is um, so good about while you're in the scene and like we improvise so much. He remembers stuff that you said on his coverage that was funny for you. And then when it reverses to you, Patton is great about being like, oh, you said this, this was funny. And it's so like, oh, and it's like a true kind of dance and partnership with him that he's just always like looking out for everybody. And he's so sweet and fun. So yeah. I have to say my favorite person this season was filming with David Neer, who plays Geology Dave. He's, you know, he got hit in the face with a, a sloppy Joe last season. And this season he just gets raked over the coals fully. <laughs> And it's so funny too, because he is the nicest man on the planet, the most well-adjusted person. And then he gets on screen and plays the <laughs> biggest boner and he's the best. <laughs> I would say, I would say Helen, because she's so brilliantly funny, uh, Paula, that every take is different and every take is incredible. Mm. I feel like you are always on your toes when you're playing with her and always learning something. No doubt about it. Thank you so much, ladies. Can't wait for everyone to see AP Bio season three on Peacock starting on September the 3rd. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. It's going to be an amazing third season of AP Bio on the Peacock streaming service. I can't wait for you guys to see just how funny it is. And the season gets off on a really good start. Trust me on that. So thanks to Lyric Lewis, Mary Sohn, and Gene Villapique for joining me this week. Up next, how about we talk a little bit of comics? It's what we're reading on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is writer and artist Gabriel Rodriguez, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Find a nice, quiet place to read, and whatever you're reading on, it doesn't matter, because it's time for what we're reading. And how about we take a little trip to Dark Horse Country? That's right, so excited that Dark Horse has got their single-issue comics back this week with Spy Island number one from Dark Horse and writer Chelsea Kane. We've got Elsie McCall doing the art here with a little bit of help from Stella Greenvoss as well. Rachel Rosenberg on the colors, VC's Joe Catamagna on the letters, and Lita Mitranik, excuse me, Leah. But I'm, that's, you know, I'm giving it a shot here. Hopefully it was a good one. Uh, by the way, Leah and Chelsea both creating this book together. Now it's Spy Island Bermuda Triangle version here and that's exactly where our story takes place is in the Bermuda Triangle and this book is so unique and this since this book isn't out yet as of me recording this I'm not going to spoil anything like I have been but I am going to drop some hints here and there because this actually centers around a spy called Nora who is based in the Bermuda Triangle and it's very interesting because I didn't ex I actually expected this to be more of a you know like a serious type mystery story and there and there certainly is some seriousness to it but this book is very lighthearted and funny too at the same time there there's something about this book that was just different than i expected it explores kind of the mystery and the and the weirdness of the bermuda triangle and this book is not like a true to life type mystery story either you've got mythical creatures that are, are and monsters that are a part of this story didn't expect that and I kind of went into this book cold so I so I was a little bit surprised at some of the stuff that I that I saw when I was when I was reading through it but you know what pleasantly so I thought that it was very very interesting and there's a part of this story where it talks about spy life and you wouldn't necessarily consider some of the stuff that that they talk about as far as, you know, where a lot of spy stuff takes place and things like that. It's just very interesting how the whole thing comes up. It actually plays off as like a 1970s series, like a TV series kind of thing. That's kind of the way it came off for me, both in the art style 
and how things are, are presented and how the how it was written. It felt very 1970s-ish, but again, in a very, very good way. And you get to find out how there are mysteries that just sort of, their problems just, just sort of create themselves. Let's just put it that way. And where this book kind of leaves off at the end of this first issue is where one of the first problems kind of begins. This first issue does a lot to set up who the characters are, like Nora and some of the other spies that you're going to meet in this issue as well. A couple in particular they focus on more than others. And there's also a lot of very interesting art pieces in here. There's some. There's a very funny page where it's just colors and three letters, and I'm not going to give any away any more than that. It made me howling laughing. I, I was... I. It was probably it made me laugh more than I should have. Let me just put it that way. But the re, but the reason it was done, totally hilarious, and you know that there are problems that are going to coming up be coming up in the next issue. There's a lot of setup here, and it works because it it just sets you up for this weirdness that is this story. It's almost like Clue, in a way, right? The movie Clue. It was kind of I got vibes of that off of this maybe not completely but that that was sort of kind of the, some of the vibes that I got from Spy, Spy Island number one so very very enjoyable I can't wait to get the next issue quite frankly because I have no idea where this book is going to go next other than what they teased at the end of this first issue and, and obviously what this first mystery anyway is going to be how about a little something from Image Comics that's kind of different this week? It's called Inkblot Number 1 from Emma Kubert and Rusty Glad, who actually work on this book together and created it together. This is actually a story about a mythical realm with a family that's kind of conquered these magical creatures across every corner of their world. And the art, by the way, is spectacular in this book. I really, really love it. It gives that nice mystical, mythical feel there's a castle in here that's a very, very unique castle. I don't want to give it away. It's just, it's a very cool concept. They make it look really, really neat. There's a there's a myth that, that goes along with this castle that I thought was really, really cool. And I don't really recall, you know, this is a kind of a unique story. I don't recall anybody doing this before, and I love that. So each, each sibling in this family sort of has their own place in this story except for one. And that's the seeker. The seeker kind of remains to keep the history and the science of everything, you know, keep the family lineage, so to speak. And that is until something happens that's very, very strange, but very, very cute at the same time. And she kind of ends up with some unexpected company that if you look at the cover of the book, you might kind of get an idea of what that company might be. Now, this will kind of either lead her on on an adventure or kind of be her own unraveling. It's you just it's hard to say at this point. Or the unraveling of everything too, by the way. Let let me just put it that way. It's it, it creates a very interesting problem for somebody that was kind of I think in a way looking for something that she could make her mark with because there's even a part in the story where the seeker talks about how Everybody, and this is one thing I do want to pull from this book, so this is a minor spoiler. She basically says, you know, like everybody's name is in these books but mine. And the beauty part about this, unless I missed it, and I might have going through this, you don't get her name. And I think that's part of the point. That's one of the points that they're trying to make about this character. Now, might they have said it quickly in, in one of the parts of the book where they were starting out showing you the family and what they were doing? It's a, It's possible. That they did, and I just missed it. It's it's very possible. So if any of the creators are listening to this and I missed it, shame on me. And I will go back and read it and make sure. But I like how they really kind of set her up to you want more from her, and you just sort of find yourself stumbling into that feeling because they they're they're setting you up for it this whole time, and then once you get there, you go, yeah, what about her? That's not cool, sort of thing. And then when you see her get that little bit of company. And you do, and it's a very unpredictable kind of company too, by the way, which kind of makes it even more enjoyable. It makes you want to, you makes you want to try and figure out what's going to happen next, 
And that, to me, is the point of almost any story, right? Especially when you're talking about single-issue comics. Make me want to know what happens next. Make me want to know what the next part of this story could be. And again, the unpredictability of this book and where this could go based on what's happening right now makes it even more interesting. And it it sort of makes you think, oh, okay, so this is going to be like a family reunion type of thing. And then it ends up not being that at all. So that, again, was a very intriguing part of the story as well. I just thought that this was a really cute, really clever book that I was very, very interested in reading in in the first place. And I am so, so glad that I decided to pick it up. Inkblot number one, from Image Comics, go get yours because I think you'll be as intrigued about it as I am. That's going to do it for what we're reading up next. Yeah, we'll go back a week to DC Fandom, talk about all the trailers and the news and some other interesting nerd news to discuss as well. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Dave Dastmalchin, creator of Count Crowley Reluctant Midnight Monster Hunter. You are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Going to be taking you back into the dome. It's time for nerd news. And I am going to be saving that thing that I told you was going to be a little bit of a sad note. We'll save that until the end. But yes, you know what I'm talking about. Yes, it is going to be coming up at the end of this segment. First, I want to start things off on a little bit of a happier note. DC had their DC FanDome event last week. We got a lot of trailers. We got a lot of information. We got a lot of news. So I want to try and dive in to as much of this as possible. We get the Wonder Woman 1984 trailer, and of course, that was the best look yet at Kristen Wiig's Cheetah. I gotta tell you, I was nervous when they first cast her. You know that if you listen to this show. It just didn't seem like the right fit, but in Patty Jenkins, we trust, right? And quite frankly, we still don't really know character-wise how she's gonna be. We get little bits and pieces here and there in the trailers that we've seen, but as far as the look is concerned, I think it's a good look. I really do think it's a good look. I think it's pretty comics accurate. I think it gives us the idea of what kind of a cheetah we're going to see. It It also looks like there's a little bit of a tease that maybe Maxwell Lord is the reason for Barbara Minerva wanting to become cheetah in the first place or being manipulated into becoming cheetah, which is almost, it's a little bit of how the Greg Rucka run handled cheetah. If you remember what that with Greg Rucka and Nicholas Scott and Liam Sharp, how cheetah was very much a reluctant participant in becoming cheetah in the first place that's something we find out in that run so we could be going that route in this movie as well but i mean there's there's nothing you were going to see from the wonder woman 1984 trailer that was gonna sway you one way or the other right you want to see this movie so this was almost like the cherry on top of the sunday of how they were going to start they were going to start Fandom because this was the first panel that they had. And just seeing that cast and how wonderful they are and how much they really, really love these characters and these movies, it's, it was just so refreshing. But you want to talk about fun. How about James Gunn's The Suicide Squad? And how just amazingly fun was that cast if you saw that panel? Really quickly, I want to run down because they said, you know, the who's who in the squad is has finally been revealed And let's talk about the names that we didn't know, the new ones. Let's talk about that a little bit. So Michael Rooker is going to play Savant. Fluva Borg, who is hilarious, by the way, is going to be playing Javelin. We did get the confirmation that David Dastmalchin is going to be playing Polka Dot Man. So nice job being coy there, David. But we uh, we had that one figured out a little bit. We have Daniela Melacoire, who is going to play Ratcatcher 2. Not Ratcatcher. Ratcatcher 2. Then we have Idris Elba. No, he's not replacing Will Smith. No, he's not Deadshot. He is actually Bloodsport, so we know that. King Shark is going to be CG. Then we have Mongal, who's going to be played by Mei Ying. And we also have Peter Capaldi, who I said would make a great perfect stranger, but leave it to James Gunn to understand that, you know, he's smarter than I am because Peter Capaldi is going to play the thinker and how interesting is go- is that going to be i think that's a great casting solaria is going to be played by alice braga pete davison's actually going to be the one that plays blackguard because nathan fillion is playing tdk which is another very very interesting choice sean gunn going to be playing weasel i love that i love the fact that we've got a guardians of the galaxy connection there and john cena finally confirmed that he is going to be playing 
the Peacemaker. I think that this is going to be really, really entertaining just based on what we saw from not just behind-the-scenes footage, but everyone's enthusiasm for the project. And did you hear James Gunn say that this was the best cast that he's ever worked with? The Guardians cast has to be sitting there going, oh, re- cool, so, really cool, James. Thanks. Thanks a lot for that. It almost like you, you, you wish that at some point these two movies could collide together, right? Because I, I think that that would be pretty epic. And, of course, you know, James Gunn would have to be behind the camera for that, right? So we didn't get a trailer, but we got the reveals that we wanted to get. We got a behind-the-scenes look at the movie. We got to see a little bit of bits and pieces. He said there's going to be a lot of explosions. I'm really psyched for this. I really think this is going to be the Suicide Squad movie. And if, if it's based on, if it's supposed to be like a sequel to the Ostrander run, I'm down for that, too quite frankly. So I'm glad that James Gunn is a longtime Suicide Squad fan and The Suicide Squad going to be coming out next year. We also got the trailer for the Justice League Snyder Cut. We got a new villain in there. We got scenes showing that we're going to get more Cyborg. We're going to get more Flash. The panel itself was a little dull. I mean, I understand what they were trying to do with having the cast ask the questions. And, you know, they they brought on a couple people that were part of the Snyder Cut movement. And that was really, really neat. But the panel itself was kind of meh. And setting the setting the trailer to the tune of Hallelujah, by the way, was a nice little touch. I'm not gonna lie, that was that that was a nice little, nice little nod. So I think it's funny that they did that. But I mean, again, it, it this was a trailer basically to show you, hey, guess what? There's a lot of different stuff that's gonna happen in my movie than the movie that you saw before. So again, this was not gonna be something that was gonna sway you one way or the other. I think I think you're either excited for the Justice League Snyder cut at this point. Or you're not. And I'm not sure that this one trailer is going to change your mind. Now, if you're on the fence, then something could come out a little bit later on. Sure. But we've got until 2021 to find out what's really, really going to be going on here. I really want to talk about the Batman trailer, though, before we move on to some of the other news from Fandome. Because this thing, let me tell you, I had no idea really what we were going to be getting for a trailer and we get a full two and a half minute trailer for a movie that's 25 percent done so props to matt reeves for being like the most fan-friendly director that there is in superhero movies right now because this guy has been giving us so many great bits and pieces along the way for this movie and we get to see that Batman already has a relationship with the gcpd type of thing we get to find out that or at least it seems like the riddler is our villain, is our main serial killer in this murder investigation, and maybe the creepiest, just most evil Riddler we've ever had to experience on the screen, because, wow, you see some of the stuff that's going on here? Or, I mean, it could be a big swerve, too. We don't know. Again, this movie hasn't been filmed that much, but that's the impression that we're getting, right? And we get to see a really good a couple of action shots with Robert Pattinson in the Batsuit. We get to see really good up-close shots of the Batsuit. I'm digging it. I love the fact that it's not polished. It's not It's not perfect. Matt Reeves even said, you know, there, there's going to be gashes in, in the cowl and things like that. This is a very early onward year two here, and he's built this himself, and there are going to be mistakes that are made, and, and there's going to be, you know, a little bit of chink in the armor, so to speak. So I think that that's a really, really cool way to go. I think that that scene where he's just beating that thug up in the alley. And he and the guy says something along the lines of, well, what are you supposed to be? That's your perfect setup for I am Batman, right? And instead he says, I am vengeance. And I'm like, that's one of the reasons this movie is going to be so different. Because that's the line we're all expecting, right? We're all expecting I'm Batman, especially in the first trailer. But no, he says, I am vengeance. And I'm like, this guy gets it. He absolutely, Matt Reeves just gets it. And he also revealed, by the way, that this is going to be slightly based on Darwin Darwin Cook's ego run, which, again, I don't think any of us really expected until Matt Reeves said it. So if you haven't read Darwin Cook's ego yet, I'm guessing you're going to be running to Comixology or your local shop to pick that one up, if you can still find it, by the way. That's, that's probably part of it. But I got to tell you, as dark and gritty and just grimy and just, it, it really paints a picture of what this movie is going to be like and just how 
even in year two, far gone, Gotham just seems to be, it already seems to be in a pretty dark place. So I think that this one is just going to be absolutely amazing. Really quick, I want to get to some of the other news items that we found out in this in this fandom, and that was the Black Adam movie, by the way, is going to have the Justice Society of America in it. And who is that going to be, you ask? Well, it's going to be Hawkman and Dr. Fate. And you know I love Dr. Fate. I was so excited, I almost jumped out of my chair when I heard the Doctor. I never thought I'd see Dr. Fate in a movie of any kind. I was so psyched when Dwayne The Rock Johnson made that announcement. Actually, Adam Smasher is going to be one of the recruits for the JSA in this movie, too, which I thought was very, very interesting. And Cyclone's going to be brought along in there as well. So I guess the, the JSA is going to try and tell Black Adam how he should uh, how he should rule and how he should go about things. And I'm guessing Black Adam not going to, uh, not going to take too kindly to that. And by the way, The Rock couldn't help but continue to say how the balance of power in the DC Extended Universe has changed. He said that like a thousand times. So, and he basically called out every Justice League member too. So there's that. So, I mean, hey, I was already excited for the Black Adam movie. Now I know that the JSA is going to be in it. That adds a really interesting layer to things, especially when we find out that Shazam 2 is going to be Fury of the Gods. So, and does that mean that Black Adam is in that or not? I mean, you figure that their paths are going to cross... At some point, but is it going to be sooner rather than later or later rather than sooner? It's really hard to tell at this point, but you know, you got to trust in the plan for now and see what happens. Also, Titan season three, by the way, going to have a lot of interesting little nuggets in there as well, because we found out during that panel that Jason Todd is going to be Red Hood this season. And after the way, after the way things, the Titans left things with Jason. That's not too much of a stretch. So how do we get to the Red Hood in this? That is the big question that I want to know. And of course, they didn't reveal that. We've also got Barbara Gordon confirmed, but as Commissioner Barbara Gordon. That's right. So the Titans will be in Gotham and Barbara Gordon is going to be the police commissioner of the GCPD. I think that is going to be really, really interesting. Because, again, you could have gone Batgirl, you could have gone Oracle, you could have gone any number of routes, and they decide to go this route to make things different and interesting, and I really, really love that. And, by the way, we're also going to be getting Dr. Jonathan Crane, Scarecrow. It's going to be a part of Season 3 of Titans as well. And I've basically been telling this to everybody that will listen. As mature as this Titan show is as far as content is concerned and how graphic and how brutal it can be, just think about what they're going to be able to do with Scarecrow. This could be the most terrifying Scarecrow we've ever had in Season 3 of Titans because they are not afraid to go all out. No question about that. I think that that was pretty obvious by the presentation of some of the other villains that we got. Now, can you imagine what things are going to be like in season three of Titans with this character? Yikes. I'm actually a little bit scared. I have no idea how this is going to work out and work out, but I know, and there was obviously no casting other than Kern Walter is, is Jason Todd. We already know that no casting announcements for this yet. Got a couple of little tidbits for, for comics as well. John Ridley is going to have a Batman mini series at DC comics next year. There is, likely going to be a a black uh, a black batman in this story and it's going to focus a lot on the family of lucius fox so could we see luke fox take up the mantle of batman in this story could we see someone else take up the mantle could it be lucius himself of course no real clues dropped there we've also got milestone comics which is going to be returning at some point in the digital form with Static Shock leading the way on that. So it's a lot of, that's some very, very exciting news. I know they've been teasing the return of Milestone for a while now, and yes, it is now actually going to happen. So a lot of exciting stuff that happened at DC Fandom. And again, I didn't, I never said that there wasn't going to be exciting stuff that happened there. I just said I thought it was stupid that they broke it into two parts. They were, they obviously had plenty of news to drop was a little bit a little bit soulless yeah because again it's that empty feeling even though you had fan questions from the panels it, it, there was still kind of an empty feeling of that live experience i'm not sure anybody's ever going to be able to do 
better than anybody else in that regard. But as far as an information dump goes, yeah, it, there was a lot of great stuff. So if you if you loved the information, you loved the trailers, then yeah, DC Fandom was a huge success. Really quickly, I wanted to talk about the fact that Carnival Row has wrapped filming for season two in their post-COVID shutdown shooting. Now, they first started filming in 2019 and recently got back to filming in the Czech Republic when they opened filming back up on May the 7th. Now, they were actually able to wrap everything up. The cast and crew were tested for COVID-19 before entering the country and then immediately upon arrival. Amazon Studios and Legendary TV also tested several times a week while filming, and they were able to get it done. This all according to Variety, who first broke the story by the way. And Eric Olson, who was the showrunner for season two, praised the Czech crew and said how amazing that everyone was in this whole experience. And the fact that this is the first, if if I'm remembering this correctly, the first major American-based television series to wrap filming after a COVID-19 shutdown. So it's almost like, look at Carnival Row, a, 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 Series that has, you know, a lot of close contact, a lot of intimacy, a lot of major huge sets that need to be a part of this thing. And that tells you right there that it's look at them. It's possible. This can be done. So you can look to Carnival Row to see that, yeah, even though it might not be easy, might be difficult and there might be a lot of testing involved. This is something that can be accomplished. Now, that's overseas as far as filming and, and here on the North American side, whether it be in Canada or in the States, still remains to be seen. But at least overseas in the Czech Republic, where a lot of things are filming, by the way, that looks like they were able to get it done. So congratulations to that crew. Hopefully we'll get season two of Carnival Row sometime in 2021. Really quickly, Netflix just announced that they are going to be having a Resident Evil live action series that is now confirmed. They put it up on NX on Netflix. They've got the script for the pilot episode up there. Yes, this will be in live action. It'll also, by the way, take place in two different timelines. As a matter of fact, I'm going to read this to you now. I normally don't do that. But in the first timeline, 14-year-old sisters Jade and Billy Wesker are, are moved to New Raccoon City a manufactured corporate town forced on them on the on them right as adolescents as their adolescence is in full swing but the more time they spend there the more they come to realize that the town is more than it seemed and their father may be concealing dark secrets secrets that could destroy the world so there's your first timeline here's where it gets interesting by the way in the second timeline which is going to happen a decade in the future there's less than 15 million people left on earth there's 6 billion monsters on Earth, people and animals infected with the T-virus. Jade, now thirsty, struggles to survive in this... No, now 30, excuse me. I don't know if she's thirsty or not. I'm guessing she probably is. I'm guessing water's kind of hard to come by. So, while the secrets from her past about her sister, her father, and herself continue to haunt her, she's trying to survive in this world. Doesn't bode well for the sister that Jade is the only one mentioned, though, does it? Like, if your cast is Billy, you're like, so am I going to survive this first timeline? What's what's the deal? What's really going on? So I don't know if we maybe shouldn't get attached to Billy or not, or if Jade is just the main focus of this story. I mean, but, but quite frankly, this will be an interesting addition. There's going to be a lot of brand new stuff in this, according to, to everyone involved. There's going to be some brand new stuff involved in this. Andrew Dabb is going to be the executive producer and showrunner, who, of course, was with Supernatural. And said that we're going to get some stuff for the old fans, some stuff for new fans as well. So just be on the lookout for that. And and he, they also said this could be a jumping on point for anybody that's not a that's steeped in the lore, as it were, of Resident Evil. So I think that this could be a really cool, exciting live action series that's going to be coming to Netflix. Going to end things on a bit of a somber note because this actually broke really late on Friday night and I think broke is an appropriate way to put it because I think we were all just stunned and saddened by this news and that is that Chadwick Boseman, of course the star of, you probably know him best, playing T'Challa, King T'Challa on Black Panther, has passed away at the age of 43 uh, after a four-year battle with colon cancer. And 
I think that there were so many people that were just so shocked by this because no one knew. We never got any indication from this. Nobody, obviously, and bravo to his family for not, you know, for, for respecting his wishes. You know, these things find the way of getting out sometimes, and this just never did because Chadwick did not want anyone to know. You just never know what someone might be suffering with. And I also want you to think about that timeline, too, by the way. he's ha- He's been dealing with this for four years now. So think about all of the action movies that this guy participated in and how well he did and the performances he was able to put on all while battling cancer for four years. That is a level of strength and courage that I don't know if I'll ever be able to achieve in my lifetime and I hope that I can bestow in my kids because my goodness, I, I the, the bravery of this man to be able to do this with what he must have been going through is absolutely incredible. And think about it too, but he's he's also had a, a number of other very, very famous roles. He played Jackie Robinson in the movie 42 and he actually passed away on Jackie Robinson Day in Major League Baseball, which is which is just unbelievable how that happened. He also played James Brown in the Get On Up musical biopic of the of the famous singer. He's just been in so many great roles, not just Black Panther, but there are so many that just saw him as their king in one of the most important Marvel movies ever that really just broke down a lot of barriers, and he was the face of that, and he always will be the face of that. So my heart just goes out to Chadwick Boseman's family and and anyone who was close to him over this unbelievable tragedy and and cancer sucks you know quite frankly cancer sucks I don't know I don't know how else to put it and you know if you've been putting off that colon cancer screening by the way yeah n- now might be a good time to go ahead and do that I, th- I think that that would be if you're going to honor Chadwick Bozeman, get yourself checked especially if you feel like you need to be checked get yourself checked and just he's going to be very very missed Chadrick Bozeman again passes away at the age of 43. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, I want to thank the cast of AP Bio, three wonderful ladies that joined me this week. Make sure you're watching AP Bio on September the 3rd on the Peacock streaming service. If you want more from us, you can always go to downandnerdypodcast.com. You can also follow along on social media at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and on Instagram and at Down and Nerdy on Facebook. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly, be good to your fellow nerds, and Chadwick Boseman forever.